0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Blue Wire. Breaking news Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good, Terry Rozier. Yeah!
2: Alright, what's up everyone? Welcome in to another BuzzBeat episode. We are a member of the Blue Wire Network and you can find our episodes on bluewirepods.com, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. On today's episode, we're going to look into some of the proposed NBA schedule changes, recap the loss to the Miami Heat on Monday night, And then the last 10 or 15 minutes or so uh, is a Detroit Pistons preview with James Edwards, who covers the Pistons for The Athletic.
3: Spencer, how's everything going with you? Uh, What are your plans for uh, Thanksgiving? Things are going well. Um, Headed up to Statesville, where I grew up. It's where my parents are, most of my family now. Uh, So we'll head up there for Thanksgiving. Do not have to travel up to Virginia this time around, which is nice. Uh, And then headed to the mountains, actually on thursday night so yeah i gotta mix it up a little bit this year have not done that in the past so uh what about you richie where are you headed
2: yeah i, I always stay here uh, in charlotte my family and my wife's family are both here so i, I do dinners back to back i mean we call it dinners but it's ones at like one and ones at three and, and i'm always uh Feeling stuffed after the first dinner, and then I got, got to go to a next one and, and not offend anyone with the, the meals and stuff like that. Uh, Brian, how's everything going with you, man?
4: Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, Richie, I've had to do the the, the two Thanksgivings uh, meals, you know, separated by two to three hours before. I uh, I I've, I've persevered, so I, I have confidence <laughs> that you'll be able to uh, handle handle the 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 surplus of food Thursday afternoon. But yeah, no, I'll be. Um, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday on Wednesday I'll be traveling back to, from Raleigh to Winston-Salem and be there for a few days with some with uh, some actually got a decent amount of family coming in town. and then yeah, I've got some friends that are gonna be in, be back in town in Durham over the weekend too. So should be nice. you know I'll be sneaking in as much hoops as I can feast week and college hoops. so uh, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, that stuff never goes away it feels like so it'll be it'll be fun but but fairly busy too.
2: Alright, let's first jump into some proposed NBA reseeding, schedule play, postseason play. Uh, there's a lot of things that could be on the horizon. Uh, these changes could occur in the 21-22 season, according to sources. Uh, so, a couple of things that they've laid out. So, it could be a minimum of 78 games, uh, which really is not all that different than an 82-game season. Uh, if you're making it farther In the in-season tournament uh, you would play up to 83 games they also suggested or proposed uh, a play-in game for the postseason basically what would happen is the seven eight nine and ten seeds would all be in limbo as they head into the playoffs the seven and eight seed would play the nine and ten seed would play and then the loser of the seven and eight seed played the winner of the nine versus 10 seed to get those last two spots and then another change uh, is the reseeding of the the semifinals uh, when they get there so potentially uh, the top two seeds uh, and the top two teams that make the finals could be technically from the western or the western conference or the eastern conference so do you guys have any strong thoughts on these I I think the first thing that I noticed is uh, the minimum of 78 games to me I've always been a big proponent of trying to lessen uh, the games in a season, and I understand why they don't. Uh, There's a business aspect to this, but decreasing the games from 82 to 78 uh, doesn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, And also, I'm not a big fan of the in-season tournament. I think if anyone follows English soccer, you can kind of relate it to that. Uh, There's an FA Cup which probably has a little bit more prestige than this in-season tournament would have. Uh, and I, I think there's another cup in English football called the uh, English Football League Cup. It's an in-season tournament as well. And it seems like a lot of the teams play like their their B team uh, with that. So they don't really take it too seriously. So... Any strong feelings about any of these proposed changes?
3: Uh, you know, I think most of this is good. I really do. I mean, I think the the play into the playoffs is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of a no brainer, and obviously it's a shot at at tanking. You know, for the certainly for those teams that are 100%. you know,
0: yeah.
3: yeah, you know, for those teams that are right around the twenty to twenty five. Whatever thirty win mark, you know, headed up to the last month of the season, you know, most of them will pull the plug. Well, this this adds a little incentive to chase, you know, a ten seed, and certainly for the, you know, teams seven through nine to try to jockey up um, to the seven and eight where you're way more safe. So I think that's really cool. You know, I think the end season tournament, Richie, I, I'm. I, I, I like I'm excited about it I really am I think it's you know in the doldrums of the NBA season which is you know in between Thanksgiving and Christmas and then the mm-hmm. NBA gets a little bit back with just those Christmas games because they're you know they have a lot of star power and they're good games like it's just it's almost the worst part of the NBA season um, and so I think it's if that's the timing they chose for that tournament um, it would make a lot of sense. And it also helps that, you know, these the group player or whatever is kind of built into the NBA schedule anyways. Right, right. So it adds some intrigue on top of that to some games that are already on the schedule, which I think is kind of cool. Um, now, how many teams will like buy into this and actually, you know, give a damn? <laughs> we'll see. But I. You know, I do think it's good. I really do. Like there's there's teams that sit in that second tier or that like that 1B tier, I guess if you will, that aren't, you know, your your obvious um, you know, Clippers, Lakers, uh, you know, Philly, I don't know, name your other power Houston that I think could really get up for this and I think their fans could you know, take some pride in certainly if that team's able to, you know, get through group play and, and advance through the, the tournament, and knock off some really good teams that are power of the league. I think that's obviously extra revenue for those mid tier teams too. So I, I don't know. I think most of this is good. Uh, I agree with you that look 82 to 78 that that's four games. Like that doesn't really <laughs> matter that much. What we're trying to figure out with that is, is how to not have teams rest star players. And that four games is just not going to get it done. Like that's – it's not even a good test. So I'm a little confused as to that, especially when you consider that with this tournament, the teams that advance are going to have to end up playing potentially, and certainly if they get in the playoffs too, way more than 82 games. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think most of it's good. I think that the four games that they're trying to shave off the schedule is almost just like – they they're trying to you know add, add icing on the cake when the icing's really not there.
4: Yeah, I I'm I'm like Richie, I've been I agree with both you guys on a, on on basically most of what you said here. Spencer, I think all this stuff is is good. I think the in-season tournament uh I like it conceptually. I'll be curious to see. I, I think there are some 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 very real challenges to, to actually pulling it off and making it seem uh, legitimate and, and making it something that, that teams and players take seriously. But if you could do that, then then adding uh, another trophy, more competition, I think that's a good thing. In terms of shortening the season, I've sort of felt for a few years now that you could knock off 16, 15 games, make it you know 66-game NBA season, and start it when you normally do, but just get rid of all back-to-backs or find a 50-game or 60-game schedule or whatever and start it on Christmas Day, which is sort of like Christmas Day, those bit, those marquee games are sort of the start of the casual NBA fan's calendar, right? So I thought right. you could start it on Christmas and then just end it like you normally would. Uh, everything else in here, though, I, I think is, is good stuff. Like the reseeding the semifinals, like I, I love that. That's awesome. Like how many times have you thought just over the last small sample, but just over the last four or five years that – Wow, well, the team that wins the Western Conference, like that's the real champion. And it would just it would be cool to see. Granted, it's based off regular season record, that's maybe not even like the best metric to like ensure that you're getting the two best teams, but it adds another layer of of intrigue, I think. And I like the play-in games as well. I do think there was this one this is this is spanning across two paragraphs, and, and give credit to Adrian Wojnarski and Zach Lowe were the two guys that that broke this story. But here's some of the text from the ESPN.com piece. Uh, Quote, The NBA is selling the idea of lucrative television and sponsorship revenue that would drive long-term growth and combat stagnation in a rapidly splintering consumer environment. The league is working to make sure the revenue for teams and players with a shortened regular season would be break-even or better initially with significant financial windfalls in the long term. That's, That's one of those things that seems like a little um a little wishful like a little ambitious but i think there are ways you can maybe get creative with some of the ways that casual nba fans and serious nba fans like us like the way we get in stream and watch and consume basketball there's maybe ways you could figure that out even if the math is could be a little clunky because you're just literally losing revenue you not revenue but you know live tv inventory how do you make up for that um but, I think there are ways that they they can get creative with that, and it should be said too, like the the financial windfalls of gambling money hitting that could that could be hitting the league at some point in the next couple of years that could play a role in all of this, certainly and um I mean, this stuff is coming up pretty quickly. the proposals uh they're they're gonna discussions are progressing with the hopes of bringing a vote to the April meeting of the league's board of governors that would introduce some, if not all of these proposals. For the league's 75th anniversary season that's in 2021 2022 richie you may have said that already but like yeah. that's coming up pretty soon and it's just it's crazy to, to think that in a couple of years you know two or three nba seasons from now you could have no one and done rule you could have some if not all of these proposals to in-season tournament reseeding the playoffs um the, we'll see what happens with with gambling as well too just the, the league is, you're sort of seeing perhaps it evolve in real time, or at least these are the baby steps, the initial steps in towards the league, sort of turning a new leaf over. Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by all of it. I don't think any of it on paper is necessarily or inherently bad, and I'm curious to see uh, what passes and, and what, what, how the league shapes up going forward.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, and I know it's a business, but for the on-court product, and we're seeing a lot of teams doing this load management, at least the teams up near the top that have star players. Uh, you know, two of these things, the, the 78 games and in the in-season tournament, kind of work against that. Like, I, I think if you're going to want to put a better product on the court and try to lessen the times that teams partake in this load management you want to you want to minimize the games and like you said brian minimize those back-to-backs so i think two of those things uh, i don't like and then the the reseeding and then the play-in games i do like i think those are good ideas Uh, it would be interesting to see how that works i've even had or i've read somewhere that someone wanted to reseed the whole uh playoffs where there's just the 16 best teams which to me Initially, I liked, but then I was like, well, the travel and everything like that uh, from the first round in the get-go. I really I do, a, I, that's probably not a good
4: idea. I, I've, I've thought about that before. I, I really think the travel with all the days off in between, I don't think that's crazy. I just think this way, at least they can appease Eastern conference owners like say, Michael Jordan, that right. want <laughs> to be able to still chase the seventh and eighth seed as a rev, as a source of revenue. But also sort of making sure that the matchups become better as the postseason goes along, and so if you if you just if you took the top 16 teams and reseeded it that way, I, I think that makes more sense um, in terms of on-court product. But obviously, you're going to have half the owners in the NBA don't want to see that uh, well, go through.
3: Yeah, and the other thing I like about these rules too is I, I do think. I think this is good for small markets. Like, I think the play-in and I think the midseason tournament are two nuggets to small markets that have a a very obvious competitive disadvantage in this league. And I'm not sure there's a way to get around those, um, considering this is a star league and most action happens through free agency and a city, a place like Charlotte, really has no chance. So I I think that, again, that that play-in game and that midseason tournament, like – I think it, those are two really good tests to see, hey, what if a Charlotte or a Memphis, um, you know, is, is successful in that midseason tournament? What does that do to their fan base? What do we see in terms of revenue numbers that suggest that, you know, just like the English Premier League, or, you know, like soccer in Europe, like the way that they're structured, does it actually mean more dollars and not just more dollars by more games in this league? So I think this is good for small markets. I really do. All right, let's transition to the Hornets' heat game from Monday night. Uh, Charlotte
2: went into Miami and lost 117-100 to an undermanned heat team that actually only dressed nine players. The heat shot 42% on a healthy 31 three-point attempts. Uh, Both Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo finished with 21 points, and now the Hornets have lost five straight games. Where do I want to start? So I guess something that I noticed with this Miami Heat team, actually a team that I could argue or anyone could argue pretty easily that this is probably the, the second or third best team so far in the East, just the way that they've been playing. Uh, I've been thinking they're doing a, a hell of a job uh, competing with Jimmy Butler. One thing that I noticed uh, on Monday night, and it worked against our trapping of the pick and roll, uh, is getting the ball to Bam Adebayo quickly. Uh, when Zeller would come up to trap, uh, as we've seen in the past, the Hornets Gasol. do try. the Yeah, like all, like you said, like they try their hardest to trap pick and rolls. And uh, I'm really not sure how successful they've been this season. Uh, but Monday night was another example of, of how it like failed. You know, if teams can make that quick pass before Zeller can disrupt the ball handler, or Devontae can get up there uh, in his grill. It really just puts our defense in, in a tough situation, and Bam has proven that he's been a really, really good passer this season. Uh, he actually ranks second behind Jokic in and, and the number of assists out of a center. Uh, so this is something that I hope the Hornets can kind of look into and in changing. I mean, I, I don't know. We saw the same thing, like you said, against Gasol, Brian, uh, and I think that's a big reason as to why the Hornets are struggling defensively. and also struggling to defend the corner three, because I think that's what it leads to. A lot of corner threes. uh, The Hornets are bottom five in the NBA uh, in defending the corner three.
4: Yeah, I mean, this was, I think, maybe the worst game of the season so far, certainly up there. I just thought in terms of... uh I thought in terms of preparation, game plan, body language, overall sort of morale, things didn't look good. I I think part of that was related to the fact that Devontae Graham just never really got going and he's just such an offensive engine um, for this team. Should also note, Cody Zeller, who was having um, a nice game, uh, he was injured last night too. The Hornets could be without Cody for a little bit going forward with a hip contusion injury. But I just thought like Miami had every answer that they they just got every shot that they wanted at all times. I mean slipping ball screens during with the Hornets uh, hedging hard or trapping or whatever. Adebayo making all kinds of plays. Um, the Hornets were switching a lot when Jimmy Butler would set a ball screen, and that was leaving Devonte Graham and a lot of mismatches where he's guarding Jimmy Butler. And I mean that's a bucket every time you want it. I thought, and I'm sure we'll get more, a little bit more into Miles Bridges, but this was a a pretty brutal game. We 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 tend to sort of pick on Miles a little bit defensively, but Mm -hmm. man, he was just a space cadet. Even in situations where he was guarding Jimmy Butler, it's like this is the guy you got to be paying attention more to. Anybody you got to know, you got to know what what socks this guy's wearing, what he had for lunch day. Like you got to be in this dude's hip pocket the entire time, and I just thought that was the the lack of. Uh, attention to detail and concentration i thought uh, was especially tough for them. it's one thing to just check out on a opposite, on a weak side corner three point shooter i mean that's not that's that's bad that's you know it's bad help side defense 101 but just losing butler in situations missing rotations you could even there was one time during the game last night the Mikes picked up marvin williams uh, yelling at miles too to to drop down uh, on, on a possession at the rim for Miami too, but you know spolster had him spinning in circles, and the Heat. This is an excellent roster, man. Like I, I think they're top six or seven in, in net rating, and they're they're doing they're playing great basketball even without Justice Winslow. They've got great shooters and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. Uh, I mean Kendrick Nunn's been a revelation for them. Adebayo taking a leap. Uh, just this is a this is a great team. They're well coached, athletic, like lot to like there. But I just thought. It's no surprise to see the Hornets go to to Miami and lose by 17. It's another thing to sort of see uh, the way the game shaped out. That was disappointing to me.
3: Yeah, this is just just like the Toronto game. I I just feel like this is the kind of team that just gives the Hornets fits. Certainly this version of the Charlotte Hornets, they cannot guard a team that cuts a lot off the ball, um, has a center that can roll to the middle of the floor and make a play passing the ball, really anywhere on the court by just making a simple read hornets they're just not geared that way so i knew going into last night i didn't want to watch this game and i didn't tune in until the second half and kind of (laughs) wished i wouldn't have gone back and watched it but yeah you know to go to back to miles bridges brian you brought him up i yeah man oh man this guy is so out to lunch um defensively not every single night is he that out to lunch as we saw him last night but he is regularly um, lost if he's if he's forced to make at least two decisions, two important key rotation decisions in a, in a defensive set. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know where it goes from here for miles. And and I don't really know that I was ever hopeful that it was going to improve. But, you know, I, I <laughs> Devante switching on to. Jimmy Butler a few times, I know that Hornets fans are scratching their heads, but we've seen this all year. This is nothing new we haven't seen. I mean, yeah. when Miles is involved in a ball screen, the Hornets are going to switch it. It doesn't matter yeah. who else is on the other side unless it's Biz or Cody or they just don't want to switch the five. So I, I, I don't I'm really, really concerned about Miles Bridges defensively, and as good of an athlete as he is, the guy is absolutely clueless on that end and, and Brian, yeah, I got the clip on Twitter of what you're talking about when Marvin yelled him to just step down and help in on yep. Myers Leonard at the rim. it's he just he made half a rotation and then there was an extra pass that he wasn't anticipating, so he was a little caught in the middle of, do I leave my man at the three-point line, or do I crash down and step in front of the guy standing right in front of the rim? There was just that extra pass in between that and Miles Leonard who went and dunked it, and he just literally stood there flat-footed, which is a prime example of a guy that things are moving way too quickly in his mind, and he's not be he's not able to react to the game. So, and and this isn't only Miles Bridges. I mean, you're right; we are hard on him. There's a lot of bad defensive players on this team, Malik Monk being another one. But this is a this is a terrible, terrible problem for the Hornets. And not only that, but the effort level it's just it's poor. It it really is poor. There's no I don't see a guy on the floor from the Hornets that wants to punch back when they are punched, and they were punched over and over and over again last night by Miami, and and that is what concerns me the most for James Borrego. Is I do think he's a good coach, and I don't think he's been <laughs> handed a you know dealt a great hand Just at all right. here. Yeah, but who is the leader on this team? Who's the guy? And maybe it just is Devontae Grant. Maybe he's our best scorer, maybe he's our best defender who really actually wants to defend. And maybe he's he's also our vocal leader. But mm-hmm. man, the fight the the lack of fight this team showed last night is, is, is just concerning to me this early in the year.
4: I think yeah, it's, I think it's Marvin, by the way, which I'll circle back to, but Richie, go ahead and get in here.
2: No, I mean I, I think it's deflating when you see this team make a whole lot of turnovers as a player. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to fight back when you keep making these turnovers and giving up easy shots and, you know, it's partly their fault. I mean, they're not getting back on defense and picking up players and yeah, yeah, Brian to your point, it is Marvin. He is the leader of this team, but, uh, I think Devonte Graham has some of that fight in him as well. Um, you know, his shot wasn't falling against the heat and this was actually the only second game this season. He didn't hit a three pointer, but he still made an impact in other ways. He had eight assists. Um, and I feel like that's something that he'll always fall back on uh, with this team made some tremendous passes, uh, one cross court bounce cap pass uh, after being double teamed. I mean, I guess the reason I bring this up is kind of to Spencer's point here. Uh, there's not a lot of players that uh, if things aren't going right, that they're not bringing the energy every night. Um, for example, Devonta Graham, his shots not falling, uh, but he's still able to make an impact with the eight assists, eight and assists, think,
4: and ten free throw attempts too. Like he so, in the yeah. in the game that he didn't shoot well early early in the year too, he had a handful of assists and a handful of free throw attempts too. Like that's and he's playing hard defensively. Like that, that's how that's what that's how you contribute on nights when your shot isn't falling. You know, um, yeah. I mean,
2: how many players on this roster can you say that where? If things aren't going for them, they can turn to one thing, and you know Devonte Graham can turn to his not many. leadership and yeah. passing. I mean, how many players on this team can you say that about?
3: It's yeah, it's not many. And I will say this too, going back to the defensive thing, if if the Hornets continue to choose to trap pick and rolls, that is on James Brago. You know, yeah, like agreed. Like I, I <clears throat> excuse me, I know that you know Kupchak and, and and I'm sure Jordan want to grade him on player development, but. Players have strengths and weaknesses and you have to build a model around them that give them the best chance to be successful. And I would say that trapping the ball and playing four on three behind the play with guys like Miles Bridges right now is not giving them the best chance mm-hmm. to be successful. So if that continues, I think that is an issue for James Brago. And and here I'll say this too. You know, Cody Zeller is fit to trap ball screens. Bismack biombo has got much better at it, but he's not fit to do that. And the yeah. Hornets have been a lot better with Bismack Biombo on the floor defensively because he's able to play in that. He doesn't really drop like we used to see Dwight Howard drop in Charlotte, but he's in that middle ground to where he can get those long paws out there and try to get a deflection but can also retreat to the rim and he's making life a little bit easier on some other guys on the floor so that's just something interesting to watch to see what Borrego does with that uh, with that scheme.
4: I, I know that Cody Martin has pretty serious limitations uh, as a shooter I, I get that and he's still a rookie Like he's still going to make mistakes too and I don't want to turn this into the the Cody Martin hour where it's like you're praising the backup quarterback because you, you think you're just envisioning what he can do. But I think there's a real NBA-level defensive player on in Cody Martin. I think it's telling that at the end of half play, with two seconds left, James Borrego threw him in there um, to guard Jimmy Butler in the last possession. He missed the shot. And then when he was looking for some energy, probably too little too late in the third quarter, he again went to Cody Martin and Cody, I think he either had a turnover or missed a shot or whatever, but he sprinted the length of the court and got back and broke up an alley oop by just by pinning it off against the top of the backboard. And like, you know, look, I think if 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 James brego really believed that he were the better player of Nick Batum, that he, I, I, I man, I really do think he would be playing. But I'm just, I would love to know outside of oh uh, this guy just can't shoot and nick adds this this ability to pass and connect in the half court and and, and also he's our most expensive player like so therefore we got to play him but just i you know i thought that was a, there were a couple games this year the really the toronto miami games these two contests that spencer's referring to i thought the hornets could have used the dog out there mm-hmm. and they went to cody uh martin as their energy guy too late in both those contests to
2: be honest, I feel like Borrego would use uh, Cody Martin over Bridges or over Bacon before he would even turn to have him go over Batum. I, I think Borrego truly does value Batum, not just because he's getting paid uh, a shitload of money. I think he does like his two way ability, um, you know, point of attack defense. And he, you saw him a couple times on Monday night guarding Jimmy Butler over Miles Bridges as Miles Bridges was uh, guarding Oladik. So I, I think we're. Martin could could kind of see some time is probably over a player like Miles Bridges, even though they don't play the same position. I think where Miles Bridges lacks, Cody Martin can kind of fill in there. Um, And then also Monk. What are are your thoughts on Monk this season? I feel like he doesn't play a whole ton Uh, in the first half. It seems like he gets a lot of his minutes in that first and second quarter. And then it feels like his minutes kind of fall off a cliff. In the second half, and I feel like we're seeing that pretty much every game.
3: Because you can't trust him. You you can't win games with him on the floor late uh, unless he's hitting a fadeaway forty footer <laughs> at the buzzer, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, no, I. You can't trust him. It's not that you can't win with him. Certainly, you can in spots. We've already seen it this year. Because I know I'll get all kinds of feedback for that comment. But you you cannot trust this guy defensively. You can't do it. All right. I, I, it's enough is enough. He cannot hang the. De- Tyler Hero made him look like a rookie when, in fact, Tyler Hero is the rookie last night. And it it wasn't even close. The basketball IQ difference between those two players isn't close. And that's not me being a hater on Malik Monk. We've got enough of a sample size now to tell us this guy cannot survive defensively on NBA court. He can't do it. I know he's an important development piece for us and I still hold out just a little bit of hope that something will happen and he has turned a corner offensively this year. He looks more comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's making better decisions out of the pick and roll. He's not really shooting the ball that much better but yeah, he looks more comfortable offensively but you can't you can't bring 25% of something to the floor. right? If you can't be an absolute ace on one end of the floor because you're a dud on the other, then you're not an NBA player and I don't I can't watch Malik Monk play anymore and think this guy is, is a real rotational NBA player. If he consistently can't hang defensively because not just because of how small he is, but because of his attention span, because of his inability to think his way around screens and over a rotation and giving up on plays just like miles Bridges does. This is not, we don't have to dig deep on numbers here. It's right in front of our eyes. And, I agree, Richie. I would rather see a guy like Cody Martin that's going to go out there and bust his tail, all right, on both ends. And I know he can't make a shot right now, but I'd least rather see somebody out there that's going to – put his body on the line to make a play, which we've already seen him do a few times this season. Because at some point, here's what Charlotte has to decide. Culture and the style we're trying to play means more than the players we're begging and hoping and praying develop. That has to matter more at some point.
2: I just think that Monk has is, is improved uh, this season offensively. Yeah, defensively, Spencer, it, it's some of the same issues. But uh, this whole team has issues defensively. You know, partly could be some schematic things with James Borrego, but yeah, Monk doesn't seem to have it all. He's he's not all with it on the defensive end. I I think he's improved on ball. Off ball, he still struggles, but i just seen some improvement out of him, especially when it comes to his shot profile and limiting his uh, mid-range shot, something that we've always given him grief for uh, he's doing a much better job of getting to the rim uh, and maybe using his strength there. Uh, one other player that I want to mention uh, before we wrap, or if anyone wants to add anything, but
4: before uh, before you get okay, to before you get to that last player, can I just read you guys off like four or five hilarious Nick Batum statistics? Can I do?
2: I'm it? sure this has to do with usage, but go. It ahead. It does.
4: He he has a nine percent usage rate right now um, and a thirty nine percent turnover rate. Uh, Is that a, a new career love in usage? Did uh, he break it again? <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, he's w- a pretty pretty obvious drop. He's basically playing in the same usage he was at the end of last season, but with a, a much higher turnover rate. Uh, Nick Batum's taken 20 field goal attempts so far this season. 19 of those have been threes. Um, quick math, that's 95% of his shots have been three-pointers. And wow. he has attempted a grand total of zero free throws here for the Hornets. So, like... He better. This guy better be the best passer in the world. Because if not, he ain't giving you anything else. And um, and, that's and that's why it's it's, a, yeah. it's frustrating to see this guy come back. And and it's great that he he you know he was pulling for his team when he was sidelined, but he came back and instantly it's like boom, you're going to get 25 minutes a night. Um, and I just don't. It's hard to see the impact he's actually having offensively well, for the Hornets.
3: And that's and that's just – I mean, the, these players we're talking about, Monk, Batum, Dwayne Bacon, it's just right now it's like all of them, and I guess Monk probably is giving you more than any of the other ones. I mean, Batum, I think, is certainly better defensively. Richie, you kind of touched on that. But it's these, it's these trio of guys that aren't giving you almost anything of real value on the floor that's going to help you win games right now. And that's where I'm sure James brego is looking out there and saying – I need to play these guys for all the reasons we've already mentioned on this on this podcast. But I got this guy back here that I really want to play, but I just can't come up with the excuse to put him out there. And that's where I'm saying, just do it. Just put him out there. Send the message. This is a young team. You know he's going to play harder than all three of these guys. So why not? Like, at some point, we got to make that decision.
2: Yeah, the last player that I want to mention, it's a player that – uh, you know, probably a handful of players, or less than that, really, uh, that can actually play defense on this team is PJ Washington. Uh, but he's been in a little bit of a slump lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last five games for PJ Washington, he's averaging six points, thirty-six percent shooting, and only thirty percent from deep. And he's also getting into foul trouble a whole lot more. Uh, he's averaging one more foul per game over those last five games. Uh, so he's really struggling to get in that groove. I don't know if it's a it's a rookie wall this early in the season, or if teams are just kind of figuring him out and enforcing him off that three point line. And even his uh his hook shot is not falling.
3: Yeah, he's definitely uh, hit the rookie wall here, and um, you know he just looks more tentative too, which is is going to come. I mean, that's going to happen, right? He started the season so hot. And now he's missing open threes, and he's not getting as many open looks, and, and teams are putting more pressure on him, and certainly in that closeout making him put the ball on the ground. And the Hornets are still posting him up. I, I would say probably not as much as they were early in the season. But, he, you know, he's missing those shots around the basket too, which we weren't accustomed to early in the season. So I'd rather this happen, you know, at this point in the season than later. Uh, yeah. But he's definitely going through – I think, again, he got off to such a hot start, and I can't imagine how high his confidence was. And now we're on game, you know, whatever now, where he's really, really struggled. And certainly I'm sure that that, you know, that drop off from really high confidence to really low confidence has had a big-time effect on how he carries himself on the floor. So he's just got to fight through the stretch.
4: I'm glad you brought him up, Richie. I would have liked to have even had more time to delve into him. I know we got we got to wrap up here, but I think it's like – It's teams have started game planning for him because there aren't, but so many weapons on Charlotte's roster. You got a game plan for this. Is his three-point shooting is probably at the top of the or close to the top of the list, and uh, that that happening while perhaps even hitting a a rookie wall, if that is also. But those two things happening maybe simultaneously. Um, And obviously, he's just minutes per game have dropped. Marvin's played well in general too. So even when PJ hasn't been in foul trouble, like Marvin's played a lot, like the uh, the the Chicago game. But um, you know, it's it's I like seeing him still attack closeouts like that. Just even if he's missing the shots, keep keep doing that. And defensively, his help defense has still been good, even when his offense hasn't been online. he had some nice defensive plays. Um, against Chicago and against Miami, so hats off to him for that. But uh, but yeah, he's gonna have to start figuring out some ways to efficiently counter the way teams are covering him now. And he's gonna have to figure that on the fly during his rookie season.
2: Yeah, and maybe maybe the rookie wall won't come if the NBA decreases the schedule to seventy eight games. Right? It'll be so. it'll be like a it'll be like a,
4: a rookie gate, a rookie like yeah. a rookie fence or something yeah, like that. It has to make all the difference. right? Yeah. just
2: go right through it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're gonna um have James Edwards III of the Athletic hop on here, uh, and I got a chance to speak with him about the Detroit Pistons as the Hornets play them twice uh, in back-to-back games, Wednesday night and Friday night. Quick question. I asked him this. The most overrated and most underrated Thanksgiving dish. I want to hear what your thoughts are on this.
4: Most Mm -hmm. underrated, my opinion. I'm going to go stuffing just because it's my favorite, and I feel like that gets lost behind turkey and mashed potatoes most overrated just like get cranberries cranberries out of here like i don't need cranberries or cranberry sauce i don't know if they're rightly Agreed. rated or not but i just it's the one thing i don't eat so get them out of here
3: yeah i don't know where cranberry sauce really stands on the totem pole either but i'm good without it uh so i agree with bg <laughs> on that one and uh most oh gosh underrated hmm that's a great one i i would probably say the dessert I don't, I, don't, I don't hear uh, enough talk about the dessert uh, on Thanksgiving. Pumpkin pie, pecan oh, pie, like it's any so of good. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think Thanksgiving dessert is probably uh, underrated. And I'm about to just got a green egg. I was telling you guys off air here. So I'm about to take two smoked chickens off of that as soon as we get off this recording. So I'm, I'm in Thanksgiving mode.
2: Well, stick around for uh, James Edwards' thoughts on the Pistons, but also his thoughts on the Thanksgiving dish as well. <laughs> I think his thoughts are a little bit more controversial, Uh-oh. and they kind of go against ours. All right, let's bring on James Edwards from The Athletic. He covers the Detroit Pistons, and I thought it was appropriate to bring on someone that knows the Pistons team better than we do as Hornets fans and as the Charlotte Hornets prepare to take on Detroit at the Spectrum Center. The Hornets and the Pistons did play two weeks ago as the Hornets pulled off a strong second half and won 109-106. Uh, before we hop into this breakdown of the Pistons,
1: James, thanks for taking the time out, and how's everything going with you? I appreciate you having me on, Richie. Um, Everything is going good, obviously, in the midst of the season. So there's uh, a little bit of chaos, a little bit of uh, you're trying to balance everything, family, work. Everything's kind of crazy right now, but it's been good. I can't complain.
2: We're very good. Um, I think the Hornets and the Pistons have been on very similar paths for several seasons now, uh, as both teams have been hovering around that 7 to 8 spot. Uh, sometimes falling just outside the playoffs. For example, last season, the Pistons finished 8th and the Hornets ninth. Two years prior, the Pistons finished ninth and the Hornets 10th. You guys get the point. So this season, though, the Hornets kind of took a big pivot as Kimba left, but it seems like the Pistons stayed the course. Uh, you definitely had some turnover on your roster, but you guys went out and added Derek Rose, Snell, Tim Fraser, Markeith Morris, Heading into the season, I know that you guys have gotten off to a slow start. What was the goal for this Pistons team?
1: Yeah, the goal for the Pistons has pretty much remained the same over, I I don't know if they've changed the course since the the championship in 04, but it's to make the playoffs. And while things have been, as you kind of just described, very, it's doom and gloom. It hasn't been, If are we going to make, what seed are we going to get in the playoffs it's if we're going to make the playoffs? And, the goal every year is for this team is to make the playoffs until the owner comes out and says otherwise, management comes out and says otherwise, and they're in a position now where they're trying to build off last year's um, season where they, they barely squeezed in It took to the last game of the regular season. They get swept by the Bucs. Uh, Blake kind of goes down in those final two weeks and is off and on in the starting lineup. Now they're trying to build off that. Like you said, added some new pieces, trying to win some games in the playoffs now. And things have not gone well to start the year. They've had a lot of injuries. Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin are both on load management. Blake didn't really – I mean, Blake hasn't started playing until a week and a half ago. Uh He made his season debut. Um, I think Charlotte was his second game back, if if I'm not mistaken. Reggie Jackson has been out, and he'll be out for the next couple weeks. Who else is it's just a bunch of injuries for a team that really can't afford too many injuries and that's why you see the the uh, the the kind of hovering around 500 low a couple games behind 500 mm-hmm. record for most of the year
2: yeah that's the first question I was gonna ask you guys because the Pistons do have a ton of injuries I think I read somewhere that they've had seven different starting lineups uh, this early in the season and uh, I guess I got two questions for you how big of a role do you think the injuries have played in this team's struggle? And then how worried are you that these injuries are going to continue considering some of the players on your
1: team and the injury history with, with these players? Um. To answer your first question, uh, I think the injuries have played a big part. I I personally never thought that the Pistons were a, if healthy, they were a 46-47 win team. I, I just didn't think that. I, at a point, you kind of have to, look at the roster and see that there's not many, um, game changers, many, it's not Milwaukee. You, you don't go one through 11 and think, man, these are all, all 11 guys are really good NBA players. That's not the case. Um, so I, I didn't, th- I thought they would make the playoffs. I didn't think they would get much higher than a seventh seed at best sixth seed. Um, so now they're in a point where they kind of got to scrap and claw from behind early on in the year. And that, and that's a problem for a team that has so many holes in so many different spots. It, it really is a there's no cohesion right now um the guys are still getting used to playing with each other uh they're trying to find an identity Dwayne Casey going into the year thought a second unit would be one of the kind of shining spots of the team but because the injuries that second unit has kind of been pushed into the starting unit so there's really no identity um and, and I think that's that's frustrating for a lot of the the coaches and players and the injuries are just what they are. I mean, they built around with Blake, Reggie, um, and Derek, and then obviously you throw Andre in there who's been an Man most of his career, but three of those four have been mm-hmm. notoriously injured for most of their careers. So it's, it's not a surprise that this has happened. And the Pistons, the last time I checked,
2: were bottom 10 in defensive rebounding percentage despite having one of the better rebounders, if not the best rebounder, in the league, you just mentioned him, Andre Drummond. They're also bottom three in the NBA in turnover percentage. Minus the injury, James, what has been the biggest disappointment this season? I know you kind of mentioned the cohesion and everything like that, but what's been the biggest disappointment with this team?
1: And Yeah, like you just said, it's it's been the turnovers. I mean... For a team that doesn't have a big margin of error, just like the Hornets this year, the Hornets last year, the Hornets past couple of years with Kemba Walker, there's not a big margin for error for teams like that. And the Pistons are in that same realm and they just keep turning the ball over. And when you're a team that can't afford to to give up possessions, to give up shot attempts, because if you look at their offense, they're one of the best offenses in the league. They're Mm -hmm. efficient. Um, They're hitting the three ball well. So they're giving up them. They're giving themselves less chances to score and be efficient, um, and add to their offense because they've just been turning the ball over left and right. And that's and that's really been the biggest issue. Um, and part of that is cohesion with injuries and and whatnot. And Blake and Reggie, two primary two primary ball handlers, ball handlers not being in the lineup that hurts. Um, but that's the that's been the biggest thing. Their defense has been bad but part of it is because they've turned the ball over so much that teams are just getting easy looks easy buckets um, and the pistons are getting lost in transition um, that really hasn't helped their defensive numbers at all the turnovers
2: what's funny you, you look at some of the statistics and it's very similar to the hornets like we're, we're in the bottom 10 in defensive rebounding we're like in the bottom 10 for turnover percentage as well so we're seeing some of the same things uh, over here in charlotte let's go a little bit more positive what's been the biggest strength Uh, with this team,
1: I would say Luke Kennard's emergence. I mean, I w I don't think nationally he's on the radar yet, but because I watch him every day, you, he has to be in that kind of most improved player conversation early on. Um, he's almost, I think it's gone down a little bit, but at a point this year, about a week ago, um, he had doubled his points from nine to 18 per game. Um, when he's not scoring, he's out there dishing a bunch of assists. He's turned into a very good offensive player. And the issue with him has been um, shooting more. He's kind of been hesitant to shoot. He's He's been a young guy surrounded by veterans who, who are primarily ball dominant. And he's kind of just filled his role, kind of filled out the space and, and just did what got in where he fit in. But the Pistons need him to be assertive. And he has been that pretty much uh, for most of this year. There's been a couple games here and there where you, you kind of wonder where that went. But for most of the most part. He's been pretty um, aggressive in his shot selection. That's helped. I mean, he's one of the best, the NBA's best three-point shooters. Um, he has been since he's gotten in the league, and there's no reason for him to be shooting three, four threes a game. He needs mm-hmm. to be up there that six and above, and he's gotten there, um, and, and that's encouraging for a team, for a franchise that really doesn't have many young pieces to get excited about. Excited about um, to have Luke Kennard kind of emerge the way he has has been positive. And then you look at some of the 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 offensive uh kind of uptick that they've had shooting the three ball last year they were near the top in the league and generating open and wide open threes but they were near the bottom and converting threes this year they're near the bottom and uh creating wide open threes i believe but they're near the top in uh three-point efficiency so they're hitting threes offensively they they seem to find they seem to Kind of piece together the roster in a way where you have guys that fit casey's system which is a a three-point layup type system um a lot of coaches obviously in the nba are doing that now with the way that that basketball is going but they found the right guys to kind of capitalize on those opportunities um, and it's helped them kind of get through this tough period obviously their record's not great uh, but it could be a lot worse if they weren't hitting the three ball the way they were
2: yeah, that's what we're seeing here in Charlotte. James Borrego is, is preaching, getting to the rim, shooting from behind the arc, and uh, we're not shooting lights out like you guys are, but at least we're seeing the type of shots that you would like to see in the modern NBA. Uh, last question, the most hard-hitting question here, James: most overrated and underrated dish at Thanksgiving.
1: Great question! Wow, <laughs> I did not expect that. I thought you were. Gonna, I thought you were going to surprise me and do most overrated, underrated player on the Pistons. Um, <laughs> most overrated dish i am not a stuffing guy Stuffings guy so i'm gonna go there um i'll probably get killed for that but i'm just not a fan of stuffing underrated uh it's a great question i mean mac and cheese isn't underrated right like that's well yeah i guess that's true i guess that's true it's not really underrated because you know many people do like it but i mean i guess you can go underrated there that's like my favorite part of thanksgiving i would say like i love mac and cheese maybe more so than the next man um i love the turkey a good a good uh, moist wet turkey but man mac and cheese when it's done right it, it, it's not top so i'm gonna go there yeah i really can't think of any i'm picky so i really only do turkey like mashed potatoes and mac and cheese yeah. so i'm picky so if, if mac and cheese is underrated. I'm gonna go mac and cheese. Okay.
2: Well, it's funny because I went stuffing as underrated. I guess there's just two types of people: people that like it and people that don't. But exactly. I guess it just depends on who makes it as well. But uh, I actually went turkey overrated. I feel like I don't know. I just like the side dishes better than turkey. That's just no. What I'm, I
1: mean. I'm with you. The turkey has to be has to be uh, done well. Like if it's too dry, I'm not a fan. You have to kind of drown it in hot sauce <laughs> and whatnot. When it's done well, though, I'm a fan. That's so it, it just really depends on who's cooking it.
2: All right, before you go, James, let everyone know where they can find you online, Twitter, et cetera, and then maybe go ahead and plug any recent pieces that you have with The Athletic.
1: Yeah, I'm um, JL Edwards, III uh, on Twitter for James L. Edwards the Third. Yeah, you can find me there. That's probably the best place to find me. Obviously, theathletic.com. You go to Detroit, you check that out. Um, I'm there. All my stories are there as well. And uh, for recent stories my pin tweet right now if you're into kind of wacky and off the uh, off the rail stories my pin tweet is on the uh, oral history of how the Pistons got teal jerseys obviously most people know them for the red white and blue but there was a brief period where they were wearing the teal that were not beloved and not loved during that uh, during that tenure but they've kind of made a little bit of a, a resurgence here fans asking for them so I did a whole oral history of how they got those jerseys um, yeah, without unless you're a Pistons fan, I don't I don't know if I'd recommend any stories for you, but Rod Boone or who works for the Athletic and covers the Hornets does a great job and he, man, he's been cranking out great pieces all year, so um, if you're not a Pistons fan, at least subscribe and check out the check out the Athletic for Rod Boone who's who's really done a great job this year. All right, all right thanks, thanks
2: again so. for tuning in everyone to another BuzzBeat episode. Be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. I hope everyone enjoys their time with the family uh, during Thanksgiving. For James, I am Richie. Go Hornets.